Vaccination is a really wonderful gift. Before the 1950s to 1970s, most children didn't have access to the sorts of vaccinations that children can have today. Vaccinations today protect young children from serious infections like measles and mumps and rubella and whooping cough, diphtheria, tetanus and polio. So it's really surprising that there are places where people are really anti-vaccination, particularly on our northern New South Wales coast in an area centred around Byron Bay, about a third of the children under five there are unvaccinated compared with the national average, which is just over 5% unvaccinated. And just this month, the World Health Organisation released some figures which showed that last year Europe experienced a record number of cases of measles and the experts blamed the anti-vaccination messaging as the cause. And so they put out a statement, the World Health Organisation, which said that they urge European countries to target their interventions to those places and groups where immunisation gaps persist, persist. It's really surprising that something so good could be rejected. And it's often done pretty easily on the grounds of what one person writes and posts and it gets picked up. Well, imagine the message isn't vaccination. Imagine it's about having a new relationship with God that extends into eternity. Could that be rejected? You'd, you'd think, no way. Vaccination's one thing, but relationship with God, surely anyone would want that. But in Corinth, in the middle of the first century AD, that's exactly what's happening. The Apostle Paul has earlier in the century come and preached a message in Corinth that has led people to become new creations with a, a new relationship with God. And, and since then, others have come to Corinth, newcomers, and they've criticised Paul and they've brought these, some new teaching to Corinth. And as the Corinthians have drawn back from Paul, they've also drawn back from his message to this message that the newcomers have brought, which means they actually are risking drawing back from their relationship with God. It's really serious in Corinth at this time. So the Apostle Paul is writing this letter we've got here to Corinthians, trying to turn them around, trying to turn them back to God's great gift. And that's the first point to see tonight. We're going to look at God's great gift. Receiving a gift should lead us to gratitude, shouldn't it? If someone offers you a gift, you don't expect to be praised for accepting the gift. No, when it comes to our salvation, it's God's work that makes a person in this passage at the beginning there a new creation, a person who recognises they're in a relationship with God and so their, their mindset about life is different. They no longer live for themselves but for Christ, the one who died for them and was raised again. It's a whole new way of looking at life and its priorities and it comes with a whole new eternal future which is what Paul comes to here in verse 18 in chapter 5. So page 995 again. Verse 18, have a look at it. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You notice that phrase, all this is from God. It's God who's engineered things so that people can become new creations, so that people can become reconciled new creations. Crucially, it's all happened, you see, through God taking the initiative to reconcile us to himself through Christ. God started with Paul and then others, like the Corinthians and us. We've been reconciled and become new creations of God. And it's not because we deserved this special effort on God's part. Oh, no. Look at verse 19. Reconciliation involved God not counting people's sins against them. Left to ourselves, we sin. This is really amazing. You know that sin causes separation. When, when you mistreat someone, they are hurt, there's separation between you. Well, it follows with God, doesn't it? Sin causes separation from God, and it, it's personal. It's not theoretical or mathematical or something. As the prophet Isaiah said in the uh, passage we read last Sunday in chapter 59, your iniquities, talking to Israel, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Let's never be deluded into thinking that sin can just be, that's okay, little foibles. That doesn't matter that much. God's loving so he can overlook it. No, no, God takes sin really personally and, and it hurts. It breaks relationship with God for eternity. But the amazing news we're reminded of in this passage is that God personally takes the initiative to reconcile humanity back to himself. He isn't counting people's sins against them because of Jesus. Have a look at verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Those words sink in. Outside of Christ, our sins count against us. But when we accept Christ's death and resurrection for our sins, those sins that were due to be counted against us are counted to Jesus. So God can look on us in Christ and declare, you are perfect. I count you as righteous. What a great gift God gives us this reconciliation and relationship through Christ. Next time circumstances in life cause you to doubt God's love for you, remember this. Remember verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I read a great illustration of this that I want to share. It's one about God holding a diary. But it's not a diary of his life, it's a diary of my life. And in this diary recorded all the actions that I've ever done, all that have flowed from my attitude toward him and Jesus, all the deeds I've done, all the things I should have done but failed to do, and the things I've done that he hates, so my times of being cruel or selfish or mean... And the lack of love for God and others. 
It makes awful reading. It's one of those books that when you start to read it, you feel embarrassed and you want to put it down fast. But I look at the diary and as I turn to the front cover, instead of finding Life of Terry Bowers, I find Life of Jesus Christ. And then there's another diary with all the beautiful, wonderful deeds that Jesus Christ himself did. The perfect life, the loving thoughts, the wonderful actions. And as I turn to that front cover, instead of finding Jesus Christ, what name do you think I find? Terry Bowers. God has engineered an exchange. Jesus has been treated as sin, my sin, and on the cross has paid the penalty for that so that I can be forgiven by God and be free, adopted into his family for eternity. That, is there any more wonderful truth in life than that? It's of such immeasurable value. How could you put a dollar value on a relationship, any relationship with anyone, let alone a relationship with the God of creation and the Lord of eternity that goes on forever? Yet, in the same way that people pass up the chance to take advantage of the amazing gift of vaccinations, so the Corinthians were thinking they had a better alternative to the great gift of relationship in Christ. They were rejecting God's great gift. And that's my second point today, rejecting God's great gift. Have you ever, have you ever entered the door of your house and someone's offering you a free gift? Now, rightly, we're suspicious of how free it is. So it's spend $100 on this booklet of restaurant and entertainment deals and receive a booklet to the value of $500. If you think for a moment, you know that you won't use most of the coupons because they're for things and places you wouldn't go to anyway or they require a certain minimum spend before the bonus operates. Rationally, you wouldn't do it. But I have to admit... At those times, my reasoning isn't always rational. Sometimes when I say no thank you to the young, pushy Englishman, I don't even care about the product. It's just him. His accent is annoying. His cocky, over-familiar approach. His inability to hear no the first time. I, I find myself rejecting the messenger. And who knows, maybe there's a time when I've done that and I would have been really glad of the product. The Corinthians here are rejecting the messenger, and in doing that, they reject the gift. Paul is trying to show his credentials as God's messenger. And so you see in verse 20 there, he talks about how God's committed to him the message of reconciliation. So he's Christ's ambassador as though God would making his appeal through us. Paul's no unskilled English backpacker looking to make some quick cash. How would this look on, on his CV? Verse 20, Christ's ambassador. Verse 1 of chapter 6, God's co-workers. Verse 4 of chapter 6, servants of God. Yet the Corinthians are rejecting Paul which has serious implications. You know, when a country expels, their ambassador, expels the ambassador, the representative of another sovereign nation, 
Their action doesn't go unnoticed by the government the ambassador represents. Countries, the reason countries reject the ambassador is to make a statement that they are unhappy in some way, that they're rejecting the policies or actions of the country that the ambassador comes from. So you might recall that a year ago next week, a former Russian spy, he was a double agent, and his daughter, were, who were now resident in the United Kingdom, they were poisoned. And the UK government was certain that was done on the orders of the Russian government. And it led to really serious tensions between Russia and Western nations, because a lot of other Western nations got on board with the UK in their condemnation of what had happened. So later in the month of March last year, 27 nations had joined the UK in expelling Russian diplomats who were believed to be working as intelligence officers over the poisoning. Australia joined in, we, we expelled two Russian diplomats. And then, tit for tat, by the end of the month of March, Russia had ordered back to their countries 59 diplomats from 23 countries. Australia was included in that as well. Because rejecting the ambassador is to reject the government of the country. And here in Corinth, as the Corinthians reject God's ambassador and co-worker and his message, they're in danger of rejecting God and his great gift in Christ. And so that's why Paul is so concerned about the Corinthians pulling back from him. You see it in verse 1 of chapter 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you, can you feel a passion in this, his earnestness, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. By his preaching, Paul has brought them to the means to reach out and be reconciled with God, to begin a relationship with God. They have been beneficiaries of God's grace in Jesus as they've responded to the message. If they now turn away from God's mouthpiece and this message to some alternative, there's the very real possibility that they'll lose the gift. It'll reintroduce enmity and separation in their relationship with God. So he's saying, was your previous repenting and trusting in Christ, your grabbing the gift, was that all in vain? It will be. It'll be useless if you don't keep up your trust in Christ. Are the Corinthians like so many who join a gym pay to join a gym so as to be fitter or lose weight. They pay the membership fees, even with that massive no membership fee saving. But it's all in vain, isn't it, if you don't keep going? Even if you're feeling great in the first month, if you stop going after three months, it was all in vain. It was of no benefit. You can see that Paul thinks the Corinthians are at a very serious crossroads in their relationship with God here. He quotes some words there in verse 2 from the prophet Isaiah and he uses them to impress on them the urgency. Uh, so verse six, verse 2 of chapter 6. In the time of my favour I heard you. In the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. He's really urgent. He's really anxious about the Corinthians. What could it be? about these newcomers to Corinth that is taking the Corinthians away, taking them away from this wonderful 
fantastic message, this wonderful, fantastic truth. Well, we get a little bit of an idea in chapter 11, later in the letter, and I thought it would help tonight, our understanding of Paul's urgency, if I just showed you a little of Paul the matchmaker. So if you've got the Bibles open, keep your finger in chapter 5 and flick to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. So it's not many pages over. Just a couple. And I'm going to pick it up at verse 2 and read to verse 4. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. There's Paul the matchmaker. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. It's a fantastic chapter. Read it later tonight because he goes on. You see just from that little extract that the Corinthians are in great spiritual danger. As they accept the gospel, the message of the new leaders, they accept a message that's not the true gospel, not the one that Paul preached, which emphasised starting and continuing by faith in Christ crucified and risen and faithful service of him as we hope for his return. We do well to make sure that we haven't received God's grace in vain. But it will be in vain if you're enticed into believing a message of Jesus who blesses and spiritualises your materialism. It will be in vain if you're enticed into believing a message of a Jesus who makes life trouble-free and comfortable. It will be in vain if you're enticed into believing a message of a Jesus who makes life full of the exciting and miraculous It will be in vain if you're enticed into believing in a Jesus who is powerful and impressive so people take you seriously. It will be in vain if you're enticed into believing a message of a Jesus who overlooks what you do, even if you ignore his will in sexual and moral areas of your life. It will be in vain if you're enticed into believing a message of a Jesus who is just nice, who talks about love but never limits your freedom and expects anything of you. All those messages are found in churches here in Sydney. There are any number of preachers who will preach what our itching ears want to hear so as to fill their buildings and achieve their vision. But beware if the core of their message isn't about the Jesus who died and has risen as Lord and calls on us to no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and was raised again whose life here on earth wasn't always easy and who calls on us then to take up our cross and follow him and who promises peace, but not now in this life, when he returns. That's the Jesus Paul preached and that's the Jesus every leader here at St Mark's must preach and teach. Otherwise, we'll lead you astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. But would it be possible for a leader to preach the true message about God's gift in Christ, yet still discredit the gift by his or her life? 
Well, yes, of course, and that's the third and final point tonight. We'd all agree, wouldn't we, on the importance of one's life matching one's words. God's great gift is all about forgiveness of sin and living with Jesus as Lord in response. So I'll discredit the gift if my life isn't consistent with that. That isn't the case, though, in many other parts of life. We've heard a lot this year, really, really sadly, really, really shockingly, about the years and years that's been kept secret of Hollywood producers, directors and actors who have forced aspiring actresses to engage in sexual acts or even assaulted them to, to fulfil their passions and appetites. So the famously, the producer Harvey Weinstein, he has been named by a whole lot of people. His company, Miramax, is famous. He's a big company in movie making. You would know some of their movies. Pulp Fiction, Goodwill Hunting, The English Patient, Lord of the Rings, Shall We Dance, Halloween, The King's Speech, Lion, Rambo. But now, more than 50 women have come forward to tell of his assaults on them. Does that detract, though, from, one, from whether one of his movies was good or not? Well, for the majority of people, probably not. It might tarnish them. Rightly, it's Weinstein's reputation and freedom which should suffer, and it's not the product. But you can't say that with gospel ministry, where you're talking about uh, a Lord who's died for you and living for that Lord. Your life's got to measure up, doesn't it? So as part of his attempt to call the Corinthians back to himself and his message, and most of all to Jesus, he spends a bit of time now arguing that his life hasn't discredited God's gift. In fact, he says, my life should commend me and my ministry. So look at verse 3. We're putting no stumbling block in anyone's path. This is chapter 6. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather... As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. And in the list that follows in the next five or six verses, Paul's every way includes his endurance of hardship and persecution. We should expect that the genuine minister of Christ will suffer hardship like Christ did during and at the end of his ministry and will persevere. Paul lists his godly patience, kindness, love and purity. That's all a sign, he says, that the Holy Spirit is at work bearing fruit in his life. That's a, those are fruit of the Spirit. He speaks truthfully in dependence on God and, the, and uses the weapons of righteousness, which I think are prayer and God's word, at least. Another way that Paul commends himself as he goes on and his ministry, therefore his message, is the way he speaks, whatever the circumstances, even if he suffers because he's... And he does that because of his faith and confidence that the Lord is working through him. He's got a really clear perspective. So look at verse 10 as an example. Paul can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. Paul knows that while he's poor, it's leading others, like the Corinthians, to the eternal riches that come from having a relationship with God. And while measured in worldly terms, this guy's got nothing. Paul knows he has many treasures in heaven stored up for him. Paul's living authentically in line 
with the message he's preached about the crucified and risen Jesus who suffered on earth so we could be reconciled to God and inherit eternal blessings, blessings that are worth waiting for, blessings that are worth persevering for. He, he lives that out in his life every day. His is an authentic Christian ministry. So it should be a challenge to anybody here who's a leader in our services, in prayer, in our growth groups, in lights, in kids' church. Is your life consistent with the message you preach? Whatever you do, keep growing so it consistently, increasingly will be. Dave's suggestion in the e-news this week is a good one, isn't it, about praying for growth in the fruit of the Spirit. That's a good one for all the leaders here at St Mark's. Eternal blessings are only going to come to those who don't turn away from God's grace in Christ to another Jesus. Wouldn't it be a serious failing of your leadership if something in your life or mine leads someone away from Christ? Be it our teaching or our behaviour. Paul will command one of his close co-workers, Timothy, in one of his letters. Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. And so Paul concludes this section of the letter that we're looking at tonight, just movingly appealing to them not to pull back from him. He reminds them that he's their spiritual father. It's through his preaching that they came to faith in God's gift and received God's gift in the first place. So verse 13, I have a fair exchange. I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. I want to ask you as we finish, could you, could we be like the Corinthians? Could we pull back from Paul's message of God's great gift received through faith in the crucified Lord who has risen and wants us to live for him till he returns to judge? Could, could you reject God's great gift? I ask that because people in our church have done so. Sadly, I've seen it happen a number of times over my 16 plus years here. I felt really weighed down in my heart recently. We're getting ready to publish a new church directory. And while I was looking, I was looking at the old church directory, crossing out names of people who won't be appearing in the next one. Now, for some, it's because in the last year, they've gone home to be with their Lord for eternity. But for others, well, it seems they've received God's grace in vain when they decide that, Following Jesus is too hard because it means you are no longer cool in the eyes of your friend. When they decide that following Jesus is too limiting to their life, and when they do that, sometimes they just slowly slide out of faith. They just keep making decisions where they stop meeting with his people. But others come up with intellectual arguments why Christianity isn't true. Rarely are they genuine concerns. It's normally just a balm to their conflicted conscience and eventually they slide out. Some people decide that Jesus hasn't provided the happiness they expected and they stop making being part of his people part of their life. But of course he never promised happiness. He promised a relationship and to be with us in all things hard and good. And some people decide that 
life is too busy to make time for partnering with Jesus' people and expressing that through meeting together for, for mutual encouragement. And so they slide out, and after a while, it seems to have all been in vain that they accepted grace in the first place. And is it any wonder? God's great gift is of reconciled relationship in Christ. Beware of receiving it in vain and beware of so living that you discredit God's great gift and give others reason to reject him. Let me pray. Father, we praise and thank you for your great gift and we pray, Father, that you would help us uh, not to fall into ways that would cause us to ultimately have received this gift in vain. And please help us, Lord, those of us that are leaders in all sorts of groups and ways, not to live in a way that will discredit your great gift. Amen.